you got to be willing to you know think outside the box and uh, i always talk about don't make the difference be the difference you know like do something different um, and you attract better people to your industry This episode of the Humans of Agriculture podcast was recorded on Gadigal People's Country of the Eora Nation, and I'd like to extend my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. And I'd like to extend those respects to the traditional owners of the country wherever you may be listening to the podcast. LAWD came on early last year to support the Humans of Agriculture podcast, and we are so thankful for their support. LAWD are the specialists in agribusiness valuations and transactions, and they've certainly been keeping busy over the last 12 months with everything that's happening in the Australian rural property market. Jump over to their website, lawd.com.au, to check out their listings. G'day and welcome back to the Humans of Agriculture podcast. I'm your host, Ollie Laleve. And as always, thank you so much for spending your time with us. It's episode 99, and I can't believe next week we're bringing up the big one. This week's guest is our first Kiwi. Who would have thought 99 episodes it'd take to discover one, but uh, here he is. Reese Roberts is the 2022 New Zealand Xana McDonald Award winner. Hailing from the mid-Canterbury region on the South Island of New Zealand, Reese is the CEO, where he manages seven farms and a market garden for the Align Farms Group. As you'll hear as Reese talks about his story, I think his family's had a huge influence on him into becoming the progressive and innovative thinker that he is. He's incredibly passionate about producing nutrient-dense foods and sees himself as a food producer, not just as a farmer. And his other passion, well, it's the future of work. And I reckon I can see you scratching your head wondering, what on earth is that? Well, you better listen on because I was truly fascinated by what he was talking about and just how he's implementing it in his business today. I love Reese's way of thinking, his sense of humour, and I hope that you enjoy this chat. Reese, um, you're actually my first Kiwi guest on the Humans of Agriculture podcast. So uh, thanks for taking the mantle on that, as well as the most recent Xander McDonald Award winner as well. Well, that is a privilege, to be fair. You know, I just get, yeah, I don't know which is the um, most prestigious, to be fair, but I, <laughs> yeah, I know that, um, you know, Xander is, is uh, a prestigious Australasian award, but yeah, the opportunity to be on your podcast today is, you know, really, really just the cherry on the top, Molly. <laughs> Stop it. You're making me blush. I, um, <laughs> you might actually help me find a few other New Zealanders. I've, I've been following various people on Instagram and, I actually nice. chatted to um to Katie, who's one of the other finalists. Yeah. Um yeah. probably twelve months ago or so as well. So it's um it's actually such a small industry when you start to open yeah. up the box. Yeah, no, Katie's a phenomenal um lady to be fair. She's going really great guns in her um in her development. And oh to be fair, all four finalists you really can't um yeah, I don't know how they really picked uh, between us. I don't know if it was, yeah, we all stood on scales and it was on weight or whether good looks or anything, but it would have been pretty <laughs> tough, I think, to um, to choose between us. I don't envy them, to be fair, yeah. I um, I did have to laugh. So I tuned into the start of your interview yesterday before I yeah. got this flash new haircut, um, yeah. and, and I did like it when you said, it's good to know that it's not just my mum who thinks I've got potential. <laughs> yeah. Oh, to be fair, I question it. You know, my wife just rides me pretty hard. She's... she's um. 
oh, she's the reason why, well, where I've got to today, to be fair. And, she, you know, she's already always critiquing me on anything to do with life in general, to be fair, you know, just, oh, you know, the vacuum cleaner works like this, you know, the, you know, the dishes go there. And so, you know, some days you do think it's just your mum, to be fair. You're like, you know, literally all I've got left is mum, really, and my, she's my ultimate cheerleader. And she's, like, pretty unrealistic expectations she sets on us. Like, when we were five, she can't work out why we didn't have a driver's licence. And it's kind of like, well, mum, you know, there's a bit of a process we've got to go through here. But um, she's a, she really, really drove us along. So, yeah, I, I can't speak highly enough of my mum. She's been a great influence in my career. And uh, it would have been a pretty, pretty good phone call when you got off the radio yesterday and chatted with her. Yeah, no, nah, she was pretty, uh, she was pretty excited to be fair, which is good. You know, it's um, all, her, all her kids are killing it to be fair. So um, I'm probably just the last one to be fair, just trying, just trying to make it in life. So my brothers and sisters are all um, very, very exceptional people. So I'm, I'm just the, you know, she probably just the, the, the leftover child. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What um I'm can so you got a couple of brothers and sisters. Have, are they involved in in agriculture or no, no, my sister actually lives in Australia. She's a doctor up on the Sunshine Coast. So she's um yeah, she's really, really intelligent. She she's the oldest, took all the took all the intelligent genes and then um uh, myself and then I got two younger brothers who um who, you know, that one's in construction in a big way in New Zealand and one's into property. Um the, my dad's a, a, in construction, so um, that's kind of the, the area. And I, I, I'm not too sure how I got into agriculture, to be fair. I was always pretty passionate when I was young about, you know, animals and, and that. So I think I just followed that that uh, route and it's been real, it's paid off. But um, no, it's, um, yeah, that, they, they really enjoy them. They live in the North Island, so I'm in the South Island. So it's, uh, there's a bit of distance between us. And uh, rivalries with, with rugby teams and that or not? Oh, yes and no. Yeah, we've got a lot of rivalries. Um, yeah, my my brothers, um, you know, one of them's really, really uh, dri- driven by wealth. To be fair, so you know, he, he's always checking your bank account statements and carrying on, you know. And then the other ones, yeah, you know, he thinks he's quite strong, so you know, he got that as well. So he, he gives you a few bruises when you're around him. So I think we're all probably relatively competitive. To be fair, and uh, we're quite lucky. We a couple of years ago we put a heap of money into a pool every week, and uh, we meet up three times a year for, for four or five days, and we kind of got five things that we need to uh, achieve in those three or four days and everyone kind of organises one. And that's probably been really, really effective for us. It just gives us time to get in there and we come up with a new innovation or new new business idea. And um, that, yeah, it's been great for us, to be fair. It just probably uh, allows us to get together and debrief as, as a as a family and kind of, what, what, you know, push each other along. So That's, uh, that's fascinating. Tell me more about... Um... Like yeah, what are what are some of the ideas that are coming out of that, and what does it look like? Oh, so, so we got four we got five things we need to do. We've got to like learn a new skill. We've got to learn to cook a new dish. We've got to um, do something uh, um, like adrenaline, like uh, whatever that is. Um, do something to do with exercise, and one more I forget what it is. And um, yeah, so you kind of you know, you, you do those types of things, but then you kind of like, like, the last one we come up with, my brother's quite interested in property, so he wanted to develop an app whereby, um, it, you know, um, people could log on to it. Let's say you owned a home and you wanted to know if you could subdivide it. So you could go on there and this app would like do like a measurement on Google, work out the, the ratings to your, your local rating shop, uh, like your council, and then work out if it was subdividable and then send you back a bit of a report on whether it's subdividable or not. So that was pretty ingenious. But, um, 
So little things like that. There's always something coming out of it. They've always got their ideas, and we're we're a relatively innovative family. So this we're always trying to find the next um next innovation. Bloody oath. That's yeah. uh, that's that's cool. How is the app still running, or it's a? Oh no, we didn't. Uh, we we actually got beans with a punch on that one. So yeah, a bit of a <laughs> bit of a bad story, but um, I shouldn't have picked that one. But um, no, a big uh, a big uh, construction company beat us to the punch on that one. Yeah, so. Um, yeah, we we probably need it. Yeah, that they were either ahead of us or uh, they heard us in the um, in the restaurant. But uh, one of the two, they've 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 taken that um, opportunity and run with it, which is really really good to see. Yeah, interesting. Oh, at least you know you you guys are on. You got your your finger on the pulse. <laughs> yeah, just just got to work on our speed over accuracy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, I'm interested. So you didn't actually grow up on a farm. So how did how did oh, I did grow up on a farm? Yeah. So uh, well, we lived we lived on a farm, but. Um, but my father was in construction, so yeah, we kind of grew up in the countryside. So I was regularly relief milking and mowing lawns and helping out neighbours and that. And um, so yeah, I've kind of grew up on a farm. And then um, when I left school, I went to like a, a Telford, which is a rural polytechnic, and did a year there and learned about kind of life skills and um, and a bit about agriculture. And then yeah, went into got into the dairy industry. So I'm about 16 or 17 years into the dairy industry now. So been in it for um, for a you know moderate amount of time. And have you always been in the South Island, or you've you've been willing to move around? No, so I grew up in the North Island. So I grew up in a town called Manamata, which is uh, it's a rural town, but it's known for its horse racing. Uh, very prominent in the horse racing industry, Manamata. I uh, went through Manamata College, and so I farmed for a year and a half in the North Island, then moved to the South Island. Like at the time, this was back in 2006, South Island dairy farming was really just kicking off, so there was better opportunities, bigger farms, uh, more kind of farms that allowed you to kind of progress quicker, um, you know, and, and it was just all around better. So I, I actually uh, moved down here with my the North, the, the employer I was working for on the North Island he come down and I come down with him. And there was actually a group of us, about five or six of his team that come down and we're all still down here. And yeah, that, that's quite good. good. Good to see. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you like, he, he moved his whole business or did he kind of sell, sell up in the North and, and head down? Yeah, no, he yeah, moved his whole business down. So uh, yeah, it was quite, quite cool. Yeah. So we all come down with him and um, no, nah, yeah, we still, yeah. We're good friends still, so uh, he's um, a real inspiration to me. He was, you know, back in 2005, you you know, um, no one had any more than three staff. You know, all the farms in New Zealand were 300 cows, and, and uh, Mark, you know, he was sheer milking 900 cows. He had about six staff. Everyone thought he was mad, but he was such a phenomenal guy to work for when we were younger. Um, he just let you do everything, you know. Like, there wasn't anything that was outside of, um, you, yeah, if you wanted to do it, go and do it, you know, and... Um, that was so great in my early career just to have that opportunity just to kind of get your base skills right. And then once you had those base skills, then you could start targeting areas you're passionate about. So, yeah, he was really influential in my career. And has, has the passion areas been the same or have they kind of changed a little bit as you yeah, worked your way through different roles and different businesses? Yeah, yeah, definitely um, my passion's kind of changed. Like I come through the sheer milking uh, route, which is quite a prominent route in, in New Zealand. So most young generation want to go sheer milking when they hit the deer industry. Uh, and then now I've been in the chief executive of a role for a larger farming business. I've kind of pivoted to probably, I, I, I'm really passionate about future workplaces. I, I get a real kick out of like, you know, what is, 
what is um, what, how can we pivot and change to adapt to the new generation of employees and um, how can we make our uh, businesses safer and, and um, more appealing and I also quite like this this shift away from just being a farmer to being a food producer like a lot of people forget that yeah you're, you're swinging cups in a cow shed but you're milking you're, you're actually creating a feed a food um, and I'm quite passionate about that linking up food production to farming rather than just looking at it as we just uh, we're a harvester of um, of milk we actually are producing a, a really really nutrient dense food here yeah it's so that's probably my two passions hey it's Nick here sheep farmer and Rabobank Regional Client Council member. I'm passionate about supporting our local community so we can improve community wellbeing and build strong local economies. My job as a client council member is to help secure funding for regional grassroots initiatives. Those that support education in ag, rural health, sustainability, and help bridge the country-city divide. We've helped organisations like Boys to the Bush, funded school field days like Ag Vision and held succession planning workshops, just to name a few. If you have an idea to make a difference to regional Australia, go to our website at www.rabobank.com.au and nominate via our community fund. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, interesting. That that future work workplace thing, I'm getting to jump into a little bit more, but I, yeah. I do want to understand... Um, kind of off the back of the the food production piece what's the kind of new zealand like yeah the kind of general public's involvement do they regard high or sorry do they hold farmers in high regard or where where do they sit kind of intriguing so i actually worked in tasmania for five months that uh would have been about 10 years ago now my wife and i and um I actually felt that the Australian public had a lot um, higher regard for um, like farmers or um, food producers, um, or they had a better tolerance for them, put it that way. Um, in New Zealand, we've probably gone through a stage where um, you know some of our impacts have started to have an effect in the community, um, and that and we're now getting you know we've got a bit of regular feedback in that space, so. Uh, I, I believe that we are still an, an important cog in New Zealand, and we always will be. We're, we're in the New Zealand DNA. Farming and agriculture exports is what keeps New Zealand. You know, the, the twenty centimetres of topsoil we've got is our biggest asset in New Zealand. So we're always going to be there, but we all we need to continue to adapt. So, you know, like we are, um, you know, like people are proud to be farmers however there's been times and there's been events that have, have forced people to really second guess um that that uh, proudness to be fair but uh, me myself i think you know we've got it's it's always a journey that you're on so and and it's a fairly progressive approach looking at it as you guys are, are food producers and really trying to like a, i guess it's a, an area which i try and bring bring out through humans and agriculture and what kind of set this um about was this kind of disconnect between yeah two generations or even a generation ago the cousin was on the farm in australia and, and so yeah. people had this relationship whereas now it's like how do we actually instead of talking about cows in paddocks or whatnot how do we actually talk about people so the, the influence of agriculture is actually in that coffee cup where the milks come from here and the coffee beans have come from there and the sugars from here and and actually look at the plates of food in front of people and go that's where the story starts not at kind of the farm gate yeah no no you did right and i resonate you know with that and that, that's how you change oh that's how i believe um 
world agriculture will change the narrative away from the social license pieces saying, hey, look, you know, we, um, yeah, when you just talk about productivity and food, produ- uh, sorry, farming, it's like, you know, cows per hectare, milk sales per hectare, carcass weight and all that, you lose it. You lose the story, you lose the provenance, you lose everything good around what we're actually doing. What we're producing is a nutrient-dense food that's going to nourish, you know, um, the population and the community. And I think we've just got too caught up in this productivity discussion. We've totally overlooked our biggest strength, which is, nourishing our communities and um so i'm quite passionate about trying to bring that story back and, and along with a lot of other people i'm not the only one flying that flag you're obviously doing it too and there's a, there's many more of us but i think we really need to get that um get that message straight again absolutely and and i think that flows nicely into this future workplace piece. so is that something which kind of you saw in in various workplaces that kind of you're working in and bringing new ideas in or has it been a relatively recent concept Oh, it has been a relatively recent concept. I reckon the best way to learn about future workplaces is go into another industry. So I actually spent um, a week in Auckland a few years ago and went to like Fonterra and Telecom and uh, Spark and Vodafone and uh, Datacom and different businesses. And um, you kind of just, wow, man, we're backwards in agriculture, you know, we're, we're doing nothing, you know, um, and we're just literally doing what we did 20, 30, 60 years ago. So that was probably... if that was probably the turning point for myself. Um, and then we started to bring some innovations back. Well, we've got some challenges in the dairy industry, like 2,400 hours in New Zealand's like the, the holy grail of per annum hours um, for a team member. So what's that, 45 hours a week, 40 hours a week? Yeah. But to, to do that 2,400 hours in a, in a dairy system, it takes them about 3,500 hours because we wake them up at four, they go home at five, but they get really long extended breaks in between. Like they might get an hour for lunch and an hour and a half for, um, sorry, an hour for breakfast and an hour and a half for lunch. So they're losing two to three hours a day just in downtime. So we wanted to find a way that we could get our teams to, you know, do eight hours and eight hours. So milking time is the reason why that stretches there. So now we offer a flexible roster where they go and there's an app on their phone and they, they we break it into three shifts each day and they can go on and choose one of those shifts, none of those shifts, two of those shifts. They can't do three of them and they can't do any more than six days straight. Um, and now we're actually getting them to do 2,400 hours and 2,400 hours. So there's 1,100 hours that we're freeing up on um, so that they can re-engage in the community or, or sleep or ride their bikes or horses or whatever they may do. Uh, so that's relatively innovative in New Zealand. But that's incredibly progressive and like it seems simple in a sense when you think that that eight hours is eight hours, but yeah, in, in dairy, it's not so. How, how did you go like implementing that and, and kind of restructuring the business? Yeah, so everyone, had, everyone had to transfer over to hourly. So that was, um, that was had, had a few, few roadblocks, but uh, a few technical um, humps. But the first two to three weeks of doing it was fantastic. It was like this it's a dream, you know, like man, we've cracked it. You know, this is this is like um, this is going to be global dominations next. You know, nothing's going to stop us. <laughs> yeah. And then, like the next three weeks were probably the worst three weeks of my life because you know Timmy isn't doing the morning milkings and you know Johnny isn't doing the afternoon milkings and oh, it was a bit of a schmozzle. But we kind of got through that and we've changed it now. So instead of like the manager setting the setting the rules, so to speak, the team set the rules. So every month they kind of meet up. Everyone does it differently. So it's not one farm um, does it this way and they all do it this way. It's whatever you want to do as a team. And they might say, hey, look, this is how I want to run it for the month. And they set the rosters and it's all automatic and they go and do it. So 
The other, the other way we've done it as well is one of the challenges, with, I see this in every business nearly in the world, to be fair, is we all set our businesses up to employ the unemployed because we feel that, that they're the only candidates. But what we should be doing is setting our businesses up to employ the underemployed because they're the smartest, the hardest working, the value driven, um, and they've got transferable skills that we can bring into our business. So I think the unemployment rate in New Zealand is like 3.2% um, at the moment, and the underemployed rate's like 16%. So 16% of our community, which are the smartest, the most intelligent, and the most value-driven people, are looking for more hours. So why aren't we attracting them to our farm? So now they can have a, a login on that app, and they might only do three milkings a week, or they might only do three a year. But uh, when they come into the farm, they lift morale, they bring transferable skills. Like we've got one at the moment who's a, he runs a gym in town and he just needs some more work. Well, he has the guys outside of milking, bloody flipping tractor tires and all sorts of carry on, you know, like, and they just bring so much energy. Uh, so that, to me, that's probably more critical than the flexible is having these guys come into your business that just bring a whole sense of, you know, a new attitude and other smart, like they're all super intelligent. Like they're, they're not doing it because they like playing PlayStation. They do it because they want to get somewhere in life. Yeah. So then you, then you get more and more of those people in your business and then you can start growing them within your business and all of a sudden you've got a functioning business. So, yeah, you know, I think that's an area that we get, we get very tunnel vision. Like the only person I can employ is, uh, employ is someone that needs a job or wants a job, but you really want to be targeting these other people. They're the, they're the really intelligent ones. Yeah, absolutely. That's um, that's bloody fascinating. And uh, do, do you see some of these people, the the underemployed, as such, converting into full time employees with you or not? Yeah, like what? Yeah, we've got a few of them across to full time employees. So that that's obviously our intention without declaring it to the nation. But um, yeah, like it's um, yeah, that's what we want to do. We want to turn them into farmers, you know, food producers, and um, you know, like one like. A lot of people get intimidated by dairy. Oh, you know, early morning starts, or you know, you have to work hard. And like, if you go into a university anywhere in the world and say, "Hey, look, come and be a farmer. You're going to work really hard," you, you won't get anyone these days. You know, forty mm. years ago, everyone would have put their hand up to that. But if you go into a uni now and say, "Hey, look, come work in our business. We offer flexibility. We've got technology that helps you work smarter, and you're going to really make a difference in the world." You know, you'll get everyone put their hands up. So we've changed. So. Farming, I guess, has got like by oh, the only way you'd be successful in farming is working hard. Well, that 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 mantra needs to change if we want to recruit the smartest people, because we're attracting no one from university with that mantra. Like you, you, you know, like they want to work hard, but they really want to work smart. So I guess it's um we you know that's pivoting. So if we've got to find a way to attract the the smartest people into our industry and um, choice the choice platforms done that. The other way we do it is we offer scholarships and then. You know, the problem is with scholarships is they just want to, there's so many of them around. So we actually offer them a board observer role on our board. Um, and that attracts the smartest ones because that's something different, you know. And I think you've got to be, um, you've got to be willing to, you know, think outside the box. And uh, I always talk about don't make the difference, be the difference, you know, like do something different um, and you attract better people to your industry. Oh, there's, what was there, 12,000 farms in New Zealand? Like you all look the same. You've all got the same sign at the front of your gate, and you've still got the same cows. Like the reality of it is, you need to do things differently. Yeah, for sure. That's um, that's bloody cool. I, that um, that piece around attracting people in. I last year, beginning of last year, I sat in um on on a number of workshops with Sydney University, 
And it was an elective subject for students. It was called food, nutrition, sustainability. So in essence, it does sound a lot like agriculture, but because they structured it and used those words, they actually brought in journalists, they brought in people interested in psychology. It was, and then they were coming up with like innovative food, nutritional, sustainable ideas. And it was mind blowing just what these 20, 21 year olds were coming up with. I agree. Yeah. No, so much more to farming than just cows and grass and, sheep and grass you know and that's the area that we've missed and now uh, it's like vertical integrations another way like um we're quite lucky we've got um a, a yogurt brand and a milk factory so we've got different kind of areas that you can kind of move people into and we, we're not really utilizing that at the moment but that would be the intention long term so there's more to agriculture than just cows and grass and hey you still need those people that are deeply passionate about animals and cows and grass because they are really the cogs that drive it but you still need to make sure that you you're bringing the smartest people in for sure can you can you tell me a little bit so i think we've we've talked kind of at a broad level about yeah. align farms can you oh, yeah. yeah explain a bit more about about the business yeah so align farms we've got seven farms in, in mid canterbury so um which is uh you know well we in between the rangatata and Rakai rivers would be a way to describe it which is south of christchurch and um so we milk about just under five thousand cows across six dairy farms and then we've got one dairy support farm uh, and we also have this uh, a yogurt brand and a milk factory that we that we can supply our milk into. So um, that's kind of the long term strategy for a line is to make to try and um, you know push as much of our own milk into our own brands long term. And again, that goes back to that pivoting from farmers to food producing uh, food producers. So um, that's a bit about us. We at peak between the two businesses, there's probably just over fifty um, team members. And um, yeah, made up from you know people all around the world. But to be fair, yeah, uh, multinationals. Um, well, I, you know, I, I live by better people make better farmers. The best farmers in, in the world are the, be- the best people. You know, it's a bit like the All Blacks. You know, the, the best people make the best All Blacks. And um, I, I thoroughly believe that you've got to recruit good people and then let them do good things. That's uh, that's bloody cool. How much like for you as as the CEO of the business and you're the CEO at a fairly young age, still like early to mid thirties. How long have you been in that role for? Uh, about six, uh, five years, five years. Yeah. I, I think, um, two, yeah, 2016. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. You started when you're just a pup. Yeah. I was lucky. Eh? Like I, um, I, I've always been pretty curious. So I probably got myself, you know, you got to understand, um, how business, like businesses tick, you know, I, I don't believe in it, but there is kind of like a, a business currency, so to speak. You've got to work out who's supporting you behind closed doors and then, you know, really align yourself to that. And I, I, I was right place, right time, don't get me wrong. And, and I had so much to learn. Like I, I was actually speaking uh, in my presentation. They asked me about one of my biggest leadership fails. And uh, it's quite interesting. I'll share the story here because it, it's, um, you know, I come and when I kind of stepped into that CEO role, I thought I had everything nailed. Obviously, you know, there was nothing I didn't know. So, it, um, and I and and I had I was able to influence my peers. But one thing I totally overlooked was the ability to manage up and manage, you know, high net worth shareholders, like going directly to shareholders. In the past, I'd been going through layers, and um, and like the business, I thought the business was just going great guns. You know, there was nothing. You know, and and he just beat, every time I told him what was going well, it was. You know, I just got beat into a pulp, you know, like, you know, there was just nothing going well. So, I, you know, and I, it was getting to the status. I was like, man, I actually don't think I'm going to get on with this joke. You know, like, this is really tough. Um, 
So I rang a friend of mine. He said, oh, you need to ring so-and-so. He was the chair of Waddies at the time. And, and I said, oh, look, you know, I'm, I'm in a pickle. I, um, I just can't do anything right. I tell him everything that's going well. There's nothing more that could go well. Uh, and he said, oh, you're telling him what's going wrong. I said, no way. I can't, you know, I'm telling him what's going good. And he's, he's, he's into me. Uh, he said, oh, that's where you're going wrong. Ring him now and tell him everything's going wrong. They like, call, but so I did it. It was probably the best thing that ever happened, you know, because, you know, and I rang the guy back. I said, what, you know, what is it? And he said, oh, yeah, he obviously knows uh, that businesses aren't perfect. He knows they go wrong. So he either, he's either sitting there going, do you know nothing about the situation? You're that ignorant that you don't even know that things are going wrong or you're not telling me the truth, you know? So that was a turning point for myself was, you know, a lot of it's about transparency and just telling people, you know, a problem shared is a problem halved or, so I think that, you know, I was lucky enough to earn some, learn some of those life skills early and um, and probably got on the wagon wheel and I've learned from my experiences. So uh, that was a big learning curve for myself in the leadership space. Was, yeah, you know, sometimes you've got to tell people that it ain't going well and uh, they can add value. If you tell them what's going fantastic in your career, well, what are they going to do to help you? So it's about um, vulnerability and fallibility sometimes. And is that something which, like, do you share that story kind of with your teams as well and, and, and I guess, drop the guard for yourself? Um, yeah, well, you've got to be vulnerable. Yeah, I, I talk about curious, compassionate and courageousness. They're uh, like my three kind of leadership um, areas as, as long as you're, you know, showing that. So are, are you compassionate? Are you being compassionate here? Are you being curious to know the deeper story? And are, are you being courageous in, your, in, your, um, in what you do? So... Yeah, I'm happy to share that story. Like, I think, um, you know, people learn by people being vulnerable. And, and I think leadership's a lot about f- finding a safe zone so that people can really grow and um, pros- prosper um, either under your leadership or side by side in your leadership. So, you know, vulnerability is a good way to provide a safe zone because they're like, well, you know, if you don't know everything, well, I'm happy that I don't know everything, you know. So I think it's, um, and if you can make mistakes, well, I can make mistakes. So, I think um, vulnerability is is important, and uh, to if you want to grow, uh, especially as a, you know, a lot of people want to help um, people that uh, are willing to tell them that they don't know at all. But I guess I was one of, prior to that experience. I was one of those individuals that I was like, I'm not telling anything that's going wrong because you know then they'll just think I'm a mug. You know, I'm just another another young fella. But I think if it was me, I'd, I'd strongly encourage to um, you know open up a bit, be a bit more vulnerable. For sure. That's, um, it's a hell of a story. I, I want to ask on that. Have you ever, like, it sounds like you've always been fairly self-assured. Seems like you've created a lot of momentum for yourself. Have you ever yeah, lost confidence in yourself and, and really started to doubt yourself? Yeah. Oh, multiple times, you know, like I suffer from imposter syndrome now, every now and then to be fair. I just think, man, what, what, why did I, why, why me, you know? And, um, even yesterday with the award, you know, because you're always trying to improve all the time, you're like, you know, like I've got so much more to give and I've made so many mistakes. Why me, to be fair? You know, and that's me being reality, really vulnerable. As I actually felt yesterday, I was like, man, I've got so much more to give. You know, I haven't even done half the stuff I'd like to do. So I almost felt, I wouldn't say guilty, but I'm like, wow, you know, I've got more to give. Um, and so, you know, I think it's, oh, I think that's normal and it's around how do you leverage that into, into your success and how, how to do better. So I think it's perfectly normal to feel a bit of vulnerability and feel a bit of imposter syndrome sometimes. And, um, but I guess if you didn't feel like that, then I guess you probably aren't pushing yourself as well as you can. And 
you know, you only get one time around the sun, so you know you want to give it a good crack, don't you? Yeah, like you know, there's no there's no uh, rerun of this thing. <laughs> Bloody earth, absolutely. Yeah, fit as much in as you can and and make yeah. as much of a difference. It just sounds like you're 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 certainly on track and and already going great guns in that. Yeah, I, I was more to more to. Oh, I guess it's um, oh, yeah, it's a it's a hard one. You know, you you got to keep got to keep getting up every day and keep pushing because um you know and that it's, it doesn't stop here and i think that that awards can be quite bad for that everyone oh just i've made it now like yeah i can sit back but you know I, I, an award like this like probably um you know i was out of bed an hour earlier this morning because i knew that hey look you know um the the previous winners all reached out to me yesterday and i was like wow you know this is this is the person i've got to be you know i've got to be making sure that i'm absolutely putting as your last podcast spoke about putting wings and uh, wind under everyone else's wings, you know, hey, look, this is my opportunity to do it. So I need to be up an hour early and, and fighting that cause. So I, I think, you know, tomorrow will probably be an hour later. But long story short, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, oh, I, I think awards are really good for giving people platforms, but you gotta, you gotta run just as hard the next day than you did the day prior. Absolutely. I'm keen to find out. So obviously as the, the Xander winner, you, you get um, a mentoring trip and it sounds like you've got some pretty good mentors around you. So what are the areas that you're looking to really learn about or yeah, that you're curious about this year? Yeah, probably vertical integration, like businesses that are vertically integrated into supply chains. That's probably, that's probably the area that I'd love to really target. Uh, that's probably my weakness to be fair. Um, and, and, you know, it's pretty hard to go past a few people doing some stuff in the uh, future workplace area as well. So I think I'll probably look at targeting that vertical integration piece. And um, there's some phenomenal businesses doing that, like I think of um, the state and family over in, the, um, in Australia that are in the cotton uh, into the fashion industry. And then there's others, you know, um, Mark Pye, he's a, got a really, really uh, well-known family in mid-Canterbury and he's quite um, vertically integrated with his carrots and onions and that. So there's some phenomenal businesses in Australia and then in New Zealand, there's like the Bostock brothers and others that just do a phenomenal job of it too. So if I could get the opportunity to meet people like-minded like that, I'd be, yeah, I'd be into that in a, in a heartbeat. Yeah, it'd be a bloody fun trip. We might have to just follow you around virtually for the year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I think, and you get a you get the private jet too. So you know, I, I normally drive everywhere in a private jet anyway, so it won't be any different. Me, but, um, <laughs> just another day, you reckon? Just another day, yeah. No, that's a like the price, the award is um, something else, but that opportunity to do that with with uh, industry leaders is going to be something else. So I'm really looking forward to that. Did you know any of the judges prior to? Um, yes and no. Like you know of them, obviously, because they're all leaders in their field. I knew one, Richard Stubtool. I know a bit about. He's got a Merrimah station, which Richard's doing amazing things in the wool industry and also in the meat industry in New Zealand. So I kind of I know who he is. He, he's um, he's well known. And then John Monaghan, he was the chairman of Fonterra. So all, all the judges were right at the top top end of their game. So uh, they were there for a reason. So. Um, yeah, but not not in any personal capacity. So I think Richard comes on the tour around it. So it'll be good to debate the ins and outs of dairy farming and, and sheep and beef farming with them. So. Absolutely. No, it's um well yeah, the chair of Fonterra and, and and all the judges. It's you, you just get access to people that yeah yeah weren't yeah. weren't access well probably were but weren't as accessible kind of this time last week. Now all of a sudden yeah. they they know who you are and and might even be expecting a call from you. Yeah, yeah, and no, I agree. It's not not a strong point of mine. Like I, um, 
it's quite interesting because I'm probably the reverse to most people is I could speak in front of 15,000 people and not drop a heartbeat. But if I had to speak to one person one-on-one afterwards, my heart would be pouncing out of the thing. You, you know, the floor would be shaking. You know, I just, I, I got no issue talking to a massive crowd, but one-on-one, I just, I, I really struggle with it. So I, I really struggle with building really uh, in-depth human like um, connections or networks. So, you know, this this will really help me. It's going to push me right outside my comfort zone, which is what it's all about. So, yeah, I, I, normally I would avoid that stuff like the plague, to be fair. It's just like I just really struggle with it. Um, so, no, it's, I'm looking forward to kind of hopefully breaking through that barrier finally. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I would have thought, like just based off our last 40-odd yeah. minutes or so, but um, your kind of approach to leadership and how you, you're vulnerable about yourself. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'd say you, you connect with people really quickly. Yeah, I, I just struggle with small talk, to be fair. Like, you know, the, you know how do you how, getting the conversation started and then ending it? To, you know, in between, I'm fine, but it's just starting and ending it, I'll probably struggle with, to be fair. Like, talking about the weather and bloody care and all of that, I'm just like, shit, just cut to the trace. You know, like, let, let's get into this thing. Yeah, yeah, let's get, come on. What do you want? <laughs> yeah. But, but, hey, look, it's always uh, two people that creates conversation so i've got to look internal before i look external on that space and, and make sure i'm cutting to the chase too absolutely mate i've got i've got one question which i ask everyone who comes on the podcast and it, it's around you get the chance to head back to your high school and talk to year 10 students um what would be your advice to them about pursuing a career in agriculture oh i think if i you know i'd the first thing that comes to my head is probably a regret that I have, and that's staying connected to those people right the way through your careers because you never know when they're going to come in handy. Um, and, you know, like that's that's probably the key for me is, you know, you've got an opportunity at school and at university and politics to um, stay connected and uh, really build some long-term friends there that are going to add a lot of value in your career. So that's an area that I didn't um, get. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also... Yeah, that, that's probably the key key one for me. To be fair, I don't think I'll add more so on that. Is um, you know, really, really stick like get a close group of friends that you really align with their values and their um their interests. not so much interest to be fair, just values, and uh, hold on to those for life because they become super critical as you go through your career. You can just lean on them and say, hey, look, you know, I'm really struggling with this, or hey, look, what do you think of this? And yeah, that they are the types of people that are going to add the biggest value. That you have in depth trust in them because you've known them for so long. So that would probably be my one key bit of advice. And I probably look at it as a wee bit of a regret. Like I never went through the uni system, so I don't have those. those I, I don't I don't think I missed anything not going to uni, but I missed those connections. You know, like a lot of my peers have those uni mates that you know there's 15 of them that they just rattle off and 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 have a really deep connection with. And I, I'm quite envious of that. Yeah. So I think that as a young, as a young fella now, I'd probably look at that just building really deep connections with people that are going to really they may they may you might feel they're serving no purpose now, but they're going to serve so much purpose when you come under pressure once you kind of leave the nest and, and go into the wide world. Absolutely, mate. That's uh, very sound advice. I hope you guys enjoyed that chat. There were so many different takeaways. I think one thing that really stuck with me was definitely Reese's huge passion for people. But when he was talking about building the skills in his workforce, how he looked to employ the underemployed that uh, have values that align to what their businesses are, that are passionate about what they do, and they're just looking for a little bit of extra work. The 2022 
Xander McDonald Award Australian winner is about to be announced any minute now. And so we can't wait to find out who that is. And we might even be getting them on the podcast as well. Look after yourselves, stay safe, stay sane. And I can't wait to join you for episode 100 next week.